Righto everyone, there'll be no intro this week because it's just me this week. Had a bit of a gap in the schedule. Look, podcasting is interesting as, I, as I've mentioned to you guys before. However, more than that, I think it's a... It's a re- look, I should have had an episode, however, we helped a fellow brother and podcaster out a little while ago and that was much more important than recording an episode. I, I thought I had two weeks in the bag, however, last week... I wasn't supposed to give you guys EFS 7, that was supposed to be this week, and I had a uh, recording schedule for this week. So you've got to put up with me. And look, I think what I wanted to talk about to start with is just a little bit of the process, right? The reason that I had episodes banked up is because I am definitely going through a process, a process of healing, a process of... Uh, analysis and forgiveness forgiveness of self for many things i mean we all have a list that we need to forgive ourselves for don't we and i'm trying to figure out that process and and truly move on and move forward uh, from these things and it's been a fascinating thing however it's quite a roller coaster it's up it's down it's around however as each layer is shed and each understanding becomes clearer and is brought into the light out of the darkness, I'm finding that it is helping me a lot. And this episode could be a short one. I've got a couple of things to go through. However, it's as long as it is. As it is. Uh, I've got uh, a couple of recording nights this week, so we're going to have more EFS. We're going to sit down with uh, Lee from Subconscious Realms and that's going to be excellent. Looking forward to that one. And, you know, there's plenty of stuff on the boil. I just hadn't had anything like... I gave myself a week that disappeared. And that's the thing. A content creator, it's an interesting thing, you know. It, it, it's hard not to reflect as we approach our fifth birthday here at Unlocking the Code. And the process, the ongoing process that I've been through over the years, just to keep this show going and the ups and the downs and... And the reality is too, like, my loyal Patreon supporters, thank you, thank you, thank you. And the podcast sort of pays for itself now, but only just, right? That just covers the, the, you know, the subscriptions to the service and stuff like that. So there's no money being made here. This is still purely just a passion project. I'm very open to having this show make money, and I would love it to. I really would, because this is... It's not often you stumble across what you want to do for the rest of your life. And this work that we do here at Unlocking the Code and this show and this process, I truly could dedicate all my time to it, given the resources. Because it's important. I think that UTC has grown to the point on a a global scale, because this truly is a global show, and it it still humbles me every time I think about that. However, the work we're doing is important. It does add value to the research. It adds value to the awesome listeners who I know have been in touch with me, and it's an interesting process. However, honestly, I there's so much to do. I could dedicate every day, so many field trips, so many places to go, so many things to see, because if we want to unlock the code... We must look at all perspectives and share all ideas, okay? And 
we have actually really tried to do that here. Uh, and I think it's um, it's been a privilege to be a part of and sort of feel like I've re-emerged this year. Along with the work that I've been doing, I have a better understanding now that this work is very important, not only to me but to you guys, the listeners, and to the research and to moving forward in general. It's very important. However, everything is a process, guys. It, it, you know, I know we, we deleted the word journey out of the podcast years ago. However, it is a journey, right? And it never ends, okay? There is no there there, okay? There's only the next step, the next process, you know, and if you if you continue to keep moving forward, that's all you can ask of yourself, right? I think, you know, what I'm seeing now What I'm seeing now is those who are aware and awake and are trying to find their way through the process. We're all having a rough time at the moment. We're all neck deep in in shit, okay? And we're trying to figure it out and we're trying to move forward because the way the planet is, it is the great shift. It is the time of the Kali Yuga. It is a a, a time where either you know, step up or step off, right? And you've got to make that decision. Are you willing to step up or are you not? It's okay if you're not, right? However, you're going to come back again and learn the same lessons over and over again. At the same time, I think, and look, every generation says this, however, it's really no more true of us. We are literally at a tipping point of so many things. All the institutions that held us up from World War II were full of shit, and we know they are, Right? I mean, you know, the, the political stuff that's going on down here in Australia is unbelievable, right? The two parties are trying to band together because they know we're going to kick them out. And we should, right, for what's happened. And the lies and the constant lies and bullshit for years and years and years. However, we actually have a true chance for change. Probably the first one we've had in who knows how long. And if we choose to do that, it will actually make change, okay? However, in order to make change externally, you must first make change internally, okay? You must face those demons. You must deal with the shit. You must get in the muck and the darkness. However, at the same time, you must also honor and respect and find love for self. You know, the, it was the triptych that really got me back into the podcast, the understanding that they took the God self away from us. They externalized it and they made us think that we couldn't achieve it. That's bullshit. We can achieve it. It is actually what being human is about, is finding that center, finding that God self and understanding that you can achieve it. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what you do. It is achievable. However, it takes discipline. It takes understanding the darkness inside you. It takes understanding the light inside you. It takes understanding the feminine, the masculine, the balance, right? And achieving that balance. Remember that, you know, back in the day I used to say, and I still believe it now, and if you apply to the triptych it's even deeper, that on one hand, you know, being human is this, right? On one hand, you are a drop in the ocean the ocean forgot about. On the other hand, you are the most powerful creator that was ever existed ever, okay? And you have the ability to do anything. And be anyone, if you choose to, alright? And I think 
what I'm seeing from a lot of people, especially those of us that held the line and those that have been able to see clearly for the last couple of years as opposed to, you know, the other side of that coin, we really are trying. We're trying to fix those things in ourselves in order to be part of whatever comes next because whatever comes next is going to be it's going to be difficult right it's not there's no free lunches okay there's this is there's not going to be an easy road ahead of us however we can't do the same thing we've been doing over and over again okay and we must move forward as one as humans regardless of color creed and religion understanding that we're all in the same big blue ball hurtling through infinity okay and letting go of the fact that fear and control and divide and conquer can control us and understanding that whatever separates us shouldn't divide us in fact the things that separate us probably make us interesting okay it it really is that right we shouldn't allow fear and control and divide and conquer to rule us we are at the moment however we don't have to And remember, as much as I appreciate you listening, you can switch the device off you've got in your hand. Or if you're driving in the car, you can actually turn it off. And if you do that, it's amazing how the world is actually pretty cool if you check out from that stuff. And with that, what I'll do is let's jump into... I've got two things I want to talk about, right? The first one... The first one is... The glyphs at Gosford. Okay, the long-term listeners will know that we had uh, Muhammad uh, on the podcast uh, last year, I think, early last year. And uh, yeah, look for the Knowledge of Egypt podcast in the back catalog. Very excellent, right? Literally talked to Muhammad, and he could see the Great Pyramid outside his uh, window. Okay, but his work is centered around deciphering the Gosford glyphs. And look, that's something we've talked about a lot. The bottom line with them is, and the understanding that I've come to, is that the Egyptians visited here, okay, in many different ways, right? There's boomerangs, as we mentioned in those podcasts, spoiler alert, that date back 5000 BC in the tombs in Egypt, okay? And Muhammad has continued to clarify his work and dig into his work. And there's a, there's a link, if you scroll down the page, there is a link to Muhammad's video, and that's, I basically sat down and watched that just to get uh, what he was saying and to see the, the, the ongoing detail that he has, he's managed to come up with. And look, he didn't give too much away. Understand there's hundreds and hundreds of glyphs at the Gosford Glyphs. And he didn't give us too much in the video, but I know he wants to put talks together and books together because, I mean, the enormity of unequivocal proof that the Egyptians visited Australia you know, two and a half thousand years ago is so mind-blowing, okay? And it adds Australia into the, into the, the, the section. You know, the, like we said here a thousand times before, there's a big Australia-sized hole in the megalithic understanding of the world. Turns out we are here and we do have things to import, right? Like I said, there's so many field trips that I want to go on and, and see uh, because... in order to unlock the code as we're trying to do we must gather the evidence and the perspectives on the mirror ball so what i wrote down when i um watched the video is his translations okay 
So the first translation he gave us is, and I'm pretty sure he did this in the podcast, however, we'll go again because it was over a year ago now. The ruler and the chief of the foreign land, Pinu, or Penu, have no deception. Now, what does that mean? That means that Egypt and Australia, which they obviously referred to as Pinu or Penu, P-E-N-U, have no deception. So that means we're good people. Right, there was good people here, we had good trade, there was no deception between us. Okay. Then he said, uh, the next uh, line of transcription, when the storm and the north wind blow up again, captains turn around to the south. So imagine they're heading home, they're heading north, somewhere along the New South Wales coast, and the storm came back up again, and they had to turn around. Okay. And it turns, as it says here, they turned into a wave, okay? So praise, the ship turn upside down, half cubit, hike, and then fall upside down. Now, what we don't understand, and Muhammad, I'll butcher it, but Muhammad goes into good detail in his video, is that's actually a measurement, right? So they're basically saying they, the, the ship rode up a wave, turned upside down, right, or, you know, hiked, proud, and then turned upside down, right? And then these, this is the survivors of this shipwreck that are riding this, okay? And the guy, there's two guys. It's Nej Sobed, the sailor, and Nefer Sobed, the chief sailor or the captain, right? And these are actually in uh, cartouches, okay? And that's how we know it, it gives their name, and it gives their profession within that cartouche, okay? And these are the two guys that wrote these glyphs. Now, more than that, Muhammad goes into the intricate detail, and like he said in the podcast we did, is it was like a slang, okay? These guys that were writing this, there's no way that a soldier from, you know, World War II went and studied hieroglyphs and then came back and, and, you know, spent a couple of weekends in the middle of fucking nowhere uh, carving hundreds of hieroglyphs into a wall. Two walls, for that matter. There's no way that that happened, okay? And as Muhammad said, you would have to be a professor of hieroglyphs in order to understand the nuances, right? Muhammad spent years on this, making sure he was correct, being very scientific because he understands the gravity of this discovery, so he wanted to cross his T's and dot his I's, and I really respect him for that. And on top of that, I have had discussions with other people who echo what he's saying, right? There is, there's, a, there's an agreement about what these glyphs are and what they say, and it is the story of a shipwreck, okay? And look, he uh, dated the glyphs roughly, and it was through the symbology, right? So they have an understanding that and they can see the different levels of hieroglyphs and the different meanings through the years. I think Muhammad said he's got nine different hieroglyphs books. I mean, you, you really can't have a more knowledgeable guy looking at this thing as far as interpretation is concerned. And I'll side with Muhammad uh, any day, okay? And he dated it. They mentioned Khufu and Snefru. Uh, however, with the slang and certain symbols and types of symbols, and they know that there was different periods, different dynasties, that the symbol was written, he dated it to about 500 BC. So 
they might, and look, obviously Khufu is the one who supposedly built the pyramids and didn't, however, that's what Egyptology tells us. And that was 5,000 years ago, or four and a half, five thousand 5,000 years ago, okay? So this was, these glyphs were written in 500 BC, so that means there was a two, 3,000 year period where the Egyptians came here, all right? Obviously the question is why, and that is definitely on the big list of questions as far as that's concerned. And quite honestly, that would be one of the dedications. You know, when the podcast starts making real money and I can dedicate all my time to this, that'd be the question I'll be asking. And that'd be the question I'll try and find the answer to for you awesome listeners. Because it's important to try and make that connection. Because that then connects the global stuff as well, right? There's much more to this. And it's it's so deep. You know, I mean, you, the, I, I believe that Australia's Stonehenge has a lot to do with it. Okay, I think that, you know, we talk about this universal religion, you know, Ricardo, uh, oh, Richard, um, the triptych guy, still waiting on his book, actually, I've got to get in touch with him. He talks about it, the universal religion. There's this echo of symbology and uh, and all these things that echo around the globe that tell us of a, of a universal culture that seems to be global in, in a lot of ways. Right, and seems to have a similar understanding of many, many things. And I think Australia could be the missing link in that, in more ways than one. However, I've been in touch with Muhammad, and we are he's going to try and come back on in June sometime, so really look forward to that one. Uh, I've got so many questions, and it'd be awesome to catch up with him again. Now, the second thing I wanted to discuss tonight is as you know, we've been doing some articles before we do the EFS stuff. I just want to give shout-outs to the people who like the articles and who like the page. You know, this is still an indie podcast, and I've done little to no promotion. Whoever's listening to this has heard it through word of mouth, okay, or through talking to me. And for that, I truly appreciate it. And continue that word of mouth, guys. We're not going anywhere. We're five years old this year. We are staying. And... You know, we have this, um, we've had this conversation, you know, me and the boys here, where it's like, at some point, the podcast will take off, and then someone's going to look at it and go, wow, there's like 200 episodes here. Where have you guys been? And our answer is going to be, we've been here the whole time. Where have you been? And that's not just me. That's not just the awesome people that are behind Unlocking the Code as well. It's you, the listener. And thank you very, very much for your time. And spread the word. All right, spread the good word. We're doing good work and we're trying to have some fun doing it as well. And so we had a, for some reason, I um, had an article that went viral as far as unlocking the code is. And this stuff's not much, right? Do you know what made this go viral? It had 18 uh, likes or, you know, there was a couple of wows, 15 likes and a care, right? Hands down, the biggest reaction, apart from the few promotions that I've done, um, which are not much, you know, that's 20 bucks here or there. I think I did one for Muhammad and did one for a couple of episodes. However, uh, you know, that's the biggest organic reaction I've ever got. And I'm super stoked with that. You know, people are chasing thousands of likes and stuff like that. The fact that 18 people engaged with an article on the page, thank you very much. That's fucking awesome. Uh, And the article 
and, you know, and it shows the UTC listeners, right? The article was an out-of-place artifact, and it's about the mysterious stone egg of Lake Winnipesaukee. I'm gonna. I don't know how to pronounce that, and that's my best guess. So I sat down the other night in preparation for this. I thought I better write some notes. I better have a look, just to see what we can see. And what I saw was the article that I actually posted on the page is the best article out there. I read, you know, as usual, trolled through Wikipedia. I trolled through the internet looking at different articles. I even went to the the New Hampshire Museum of Natural History, I think it is, and that's where the egg is displayed to this day. And they literally had three paragraphs and then tried to sell me a T-shirt. So this Ancient Origins article is the best one. So I thought the best thing to do is just to read the article and have a bit of a chat about it. And then we're going to wrap it up. This one's going to be short and sharp, all right? So let's have a look. Let's jump into it. So the article is, it's on ancientorigins.net, and the article is by Brian Hill. Thank you very much, Brian. Uh, Out-of-place artifact, the mysterious stone egg of Lake Winnipesaukee. In 1872, construction workers digging a hole for a fence post near the shores of Lake Winnipesaukee in New England, found a lump of clay with an egg-shaped article inside of it. Art. Good start. Well done. Uh, New England found a lump of clay with an egg-shaped artifact inside it, six feet below the ground. Called the Mystery Stone, it is one of New Hampshire's more curious and lesser-known relics. Amateur and professional archaeologists have speculated about the origin of the strange artifact for well over a hundred years with no clear answers emerging. That's probably why I couldn't find much about it. And I think when I when I read that as well, I mean, obviously this is coming off the back of the EFS stuff too, yeah? When I read this, I was like, what are we missing out on with our big diggers and all these sorts of things, right? When we're just, just destroying the environment and digging holes and drilling holes and just, you know, we're not hand digging stuff. We don't, this stuff doesn't come up much because we're not doing the same technique we were doing back then, which is where a lot of this oops art was found. You know, when we used to hand dig the quarries and, and, and the coal and all that sort of stuff, that's where this stuff was found because it really, it had the chance, okay? Whereas now we don't. How many things have uh, been destroyed at the end of an excavator bucket that we just never saw and never understood, you know? The rock type is not familiar to New Hampshire and there are no other known objects bearing similar markings or design in the United States. It may very well have been the work of someone living in a faraway place and time as nothing like its fine workmanship has ever been produced by the Native American tribes living locally in the area. And there's a really good description, right? And I might uh, post some pictures with it uh, when, I, when I release this uh, or do the social media tomorrow. Strange symbols on the Lake Winnipesaukee Mystery Stone. The Mystery Stone egg is approximately 4 inches, 10.2 centimetres long, 2.5 inches, 6.4 centimetres thick, weighs 18 ounces or 510.3 grams and has a dark hue to it. Hard as granite, it's about the size and shape of a goose egg. The stone is a type of quartzite, derived from sandstone, or millinite, a fine-grained rock formed by the transference of rock layers along faults. There are holes bored in both ends of the stone, and it was drilled through from end to end with different sized tools and polished along its surface. Now, one of the questions that came up on the article on the page was, what does the top and bottom look like? Okay, top and bottom have holes surrounded by what? What is the only way I can describe it is like cogs. Okay, it looks like cogs or 
stars maybe or something like that, right? And they've got them top and bottom and uh, and the wear around the hole suggests something went in and out many times and the bottom has a larger diameter than the top. However, it is drilled through. And this is a smooth bore hole, everyone, okay? And again, through a quartzite rock and it's gone straight through different sizes, okay, with different size tools. The Some of the stuff that I looked at speculated that it had some sort of, it sat on some sort of rod or, or something like that, okay? How it's very interesting, very detailed. As I say, I'll, I'll, I'll post some pictures uh, when I release the social media stuff tomorrow. Beyond its strange construction and design, the stone is marked with bizarre carvings ranging from astronom- astronomical symbols to a human face along its smooth sides. On one side, there are what appears to be uh, inverted arrows, a moon with some dots, and a spiral. Inverted arrows, a moon with some dots, and a spiral. A moon with some dots and a spiral is one of the symbols that echoes around the globe. And when I mean around the globe, I mean around the globe. Everywhere, every, every continent has those symbols somewhere. Another side has an ear of corn with 17 kernels in the row, which I suppose would what lead it to be uh, North American, okay, with, you know, maize and corn, okay. Underneath, there is a circle with three figures, one of which looks like a deer's leg, along with some kind of animal with large ears. The, cer- the third side shows a teepee with four poles, an oval, and a human face. The face is sunken with a nose that does not rise above the surface of the egg, and lips that seem to give the image of some kind of purposeful expression. Okay. History of the Lake Winnipesaukee Stone Egg. It was Seneca A. Ladd, a local businessman, who hired the workers to dig the fence post that is credited with the discovery of this intriguing artifact. When it was first unveiled to the world, the American Naturalist Journal described it as a remarkable Indian relic. Documents and newspaper articles show that by 19, ah, sorry, 19, 1872, Seneca Ladd had the egg in his possession, and by 1885 it was notable enough to be reported in the country history book, or the county history book. Ladd died in 1892, and in 1927, one of his daughters, Frances Ladd Coe of Centre Harbour, donated the stone to the New Hampshire Historical Society uh, in the state capital of Concord. There it was separated from the Native American 1800s-era cultural artefacts and items of modern-day interest, because it, it sits outside of those things, as all Upart does, which is why I find it so fascinating. So what are the theories on the egg? As for its purpose... There have been attempts made by historians over the years to come up with an explanation for the stone with no clear answer to date. Initial interpretations begin with the simplest answer. In November 1872, the American naturalist suggested that the stone commemorates a treaty between two tribes. However, this idea did not hold up long. It was later hypothesized that the stone was some kind of ancient tool. I don't see how it could be a tool. Uh, I know you know we laugh and scoff at you know everything ceremonial, but this truly looks like there's a there's a purpose to it, right? It does look ceremonial, right? It's it's got to sit on some sort of rod. There have also been suggestions that the egg could be Celtic or Inuit in origin. In 1931, a letter was written to the New Hampshire Historical Society suggesting that it was a thunderstone, also known as thunderbolts or thunder axes. A thunderstone is a workstone object, often wedge-shaped like an axe blade, that is alleged to have fallen from the sky. Stories of thunderstones are found in cultures all over the world and are often associated with a thunder god. The writer went on to say that such objects always present, them, present the appearance of having been machine or hand-worked 
Frequently they come up from deep in the earth, embedded in lumps of clay, or even surrounded by solid rock or coral. It could be coal as well, I imagine. Might have to have a dig into these thunderstones, actually. I'll make a note of that when uh, when I finish up. Right? I wonder if there's any more and there's any similarities between them. Is it a Native American birthstone? Indigenous historian Joe Graveline suggested that an interesting purpose for the mystery stone, in, uh, he told Greenfield Recorder in 2018, that he believes it was a Native American birthstone. According to the Greenfield Recorder, a birthstone is a stone that was heated internally and placed inside the pregnant woman by midwives to relax the muscles during difficult births. Graveline says that this particular stone would have been extra special and used by a Native American midwife to help a mother deliver a person who became venerated spiritual or governmental leader of either sex. Okay, He also believes that it was a grave offering and if the construction workers had dug a little deeper, they would have encountered bones. Interesting. You know, we talk about that, don't we? You know, people dig as far as they dig, they find stuff and they get excited about it, right? I think there was the... Um, the Clovis tribe, they keep going back to that site and the deeper they dig, the more they find. Okay, A good spot's a good spot, as we've said before. One particularly interesting detail about the Mystery Stone's construction worth noting are the two holes bored in both ends of the stone with different sized bits. Each bore is straight, not tapered. Scratches in the lower bore suggest it was placed on a metal shaft and removed several times. According to one analysis done by the New Hampshire state officials in 1994, a state archaeologist said believes these holes are highly regular. I've seen a number of holes bored in stone with technology you would associate with prehistoric North America. There's a certain amount of unevenness, and this hole was extremely regular throughout. What we did not see was the variations that would be consistent with something that was several hundred years old. Remember, it's a very hard stone has been stuck in the dirt. However... It's more precision drilling, okay? This time on a four and a half inch by two inch egg, okay? Uh, Boysvert, who deeply laments the lack of details on the context in which the stone was found, went on to suggest that the holes were drilled using power tools rather than traditional techniques used by the Native Americans. He added that there was every chance that the holes were made during the 19th century, which mean tampering of the object. This has led to some led some to believe that Winnipesaukee Stone's mystery is simply some kind of elaborate hoax. Look, there's always a possibility. Like we say here, everything is possible. However, how many other things have we got that have come out of the dirt that have got perfect holes through them? A lot, right? A lot of jewellery, a lot of stone. You know, we Perfectly drilled holes is not an uncommon thing in this megalithic or builder culture that we've been discussing here for so many years, okay? Everything could be a hoax, but I think a hoax is also a convenient way just to make something not exist as well, yeah? The only thing that seems certain, or of which there is consensus, is that it was created using some type of machine. However, the fact remains that no one knows who made the object, when or why. At one time, the mystery stone attracted the wonder of the scientific world with the Smithsonian Institution in Washington, D.C., offering to send a map to Seneca A. Ladd to make a casting of the egg. 
Today, the Lake Winnipesaukee Mystery Stone is on display in a case of the Museum of New Hampshire History, surrounded by mirrors to show off its unique and enigmatic features. And that's the end of the article. Uh, interesting that it got the uh, the attention of the Smithsonian. I mean, they've, they've a lot of the stuff in there goes in and never comes out. I wonder if they ever did that. I wonder if they ever took a, a mould of it uh, and I wonder what their understanding of it was. Look, as I say, this is a short episode. I just really wanted to get something out to you guys. I'm trying to get one episode out a week and it's important for me to do that and wanted to give some love, right? So the people that actually liked that, okay, it's a bit of a long list, so bear with me. It's uh, Abdul, Julie, Ben, Grant, John, Ronnie, Valmore, Eva, Tina, Sandy, Robert, uh, Sh, that's S-H, uh, Pally, Leslie, Shane, okay, they were the likes. There's a few regulars there. Thank you very much for that. Joseph gave us a wow, as he always does, and uh, uh, Bosi uh, gave us a, uh, a wow as well, and a care from Jock. Uh, Look, Jock's episodes are really interesting. Go back and listen to uh, the Jock Double Day episodes there last year as well. Uh, he's might try and get him back on in the near future too to see where his research and stuff is uh, is going. Don't have too much more. I mean, the thing with the Upart is it is what it is, right? It's an out-of-place artifact. I mean, I'm dealing with one here in Queensland, the imprint, okay? What is it? Where did it come from? It makes no sense to be there. It's in sandstone that, you know, only can melt like that at 2,000 plus degrees. It's an interesting one. I don't know what it is. It is an out-of-place artifact. And like I said, that, you know, Brian, you know, the guy who wrote that article, did a really good job. Because, I mean, I spent some time looking at all the research, you know, having a look at everything, and that is the best version that I saw. Okay, that actually encapsulates all the proper details that need to be shared. So much uh, much appreciated to Brian for that one. Um, this Upad is so interesting. And unfortunately, we don't have anywhere to go with it. Uh, however, at some point, I mean, I think the the number that I remember is that there's 75,000 plus pieces of Upad that are um, catalogued around the world. And countless others that are probably sitting in drawers in the bottom of the museums, big museums around the world that no one even cares about. You know, what would you give to spend uh, a few days in the in the drawers of the British Museum or you know the Smithsonian or you know the uh, the Vatican Library? I mean, what is hiding in there? And is there things that that join these bits of upart together that would give us a uh, a better narrative, right? And you know, there's always the the wish that we come upon some tomb or something that has the library or it has the machine or it has something. Because, again, you th- you know, I, I'll post some pictures uh, in the social media, so have a look, Unlocking the Code, Facebook, Instagram. However, um, it's so accurate, okay, and it's so detailed. And don't forget, you know, look, yeah, pretty egg, cool carvings. But what machine made that? And then... What machine made the machine to make that, okay? And what are we talking about here? We're talking about mathematics. We're talking about engineering. We're talking about metallurgy. We're talking about elements. We're talking about so many different things, right? It's not a lot of this upart and a lot of these things that we look at, the the deeper you actually analyze them and look at them, for me now, 
I do find these things amazing. And there was a, there was a time where I go, oh, wow, look at the detail and stuff like that. And look, I still do that. However, immediately, because we're trying to unlock the code, I look past that and I look at how uh, how it was done, what it was done with, when it was done, how could we figure that out, all these sorts of things, because that is what's going to hold the key to the understanding, yeah? And I think we must all do that. We must analyse it and look and see, all right? I tell you what, that's nice, short, sharp. I enjoy doing that. Going to finish with uh, Bathe in the Sun, okay? Because that song was the first song that Rowdy ever gave me, and I love it to this day. And there's there's in, in a lot of meaning behind all of Rowdy's music, and I see he's back up and uh, strumming away uh, with the you know with the world opening up again, which is excellent to see. And I should get in touch with him and see how he's going. That's about it. Uh, again, look. The research we want to do here does take time, does take resources. So you want to send some money, a couple of bucks through Patreon, please do so. Unlocking the code on Patreon, look us up. I'm not real good at all this stuff, okay? The fact that I run a social, two social media accounts and, and I manage to uh, post a podcast is, you don't no idea what a miracle that is, okay? And I know I need to be better for the Patreon uh, boys and I... And, but they know me and they know what I'm like. Uh, but much appreciation to them. I don't have anything else apart from in this time of chaos, we must always attempt to find the center. Remember, it is about the God self. It's about the balance. It's about the middle. It's about understanding and, and trying to find what that is so you can find your peace within this chaos. Look after yourselves. Be kind. Be cool. Be understanding. Show discipline, engage in discipline. Discipline does equal freedom and it doesn't have to be exercise. Whatever you choose to do that you know serves you, if you choose to engage discipline, it will give you freedom. Please stay safe, look out for each other, look after each other and look forward to next week's episodes. Thanks very much. We'll talk soon. Cheers. Yes.